Hello folks and welcome to the perhaps improbable episode 9 of Talking Indies. Um, here every week to discuss Nintendo Indies and whatever else people can come up with. Um, if you're not familiar with the format, I apologize in advance for the uh, meandering, tangential um, way that I tend to respond to just about anything, but that sort of is the gimmick. Um, if if you if you aren't a fan, um, good to have you. I'm sorry it didn't work out. But um, for everybody else, let's uh, buckle on up. Um, this week, I have two questions from Dan from Canada. Uh, another another you know discussion with a longtime follower. Um, so we'll get right into it. First question he has is: As someone who loves earning achievements and not spending money. Game Pass has been an amazing spot to play the latest indies. The remote play feature also allows me to play like a Switch using the Backbone feature. However, my only issue with this is that sometimes I feel guilty not spending money supporting these indies. Should I feel guilty not paying for them? Uh, how should I be trying to support them? Um, and that's a it's a difficult question in a way. Um, I'm not sure that for the individual developers whose games you play through Game Pass that my, my sentiments would necessarily be appreciated. But for me, I mean, my perspective on the indies uh, market and the, the space is more of a broad perspective. Um, I, you know, for me, I think the real, the real battle is trying to establish that indie games as a whole are viable and can be, um, can be just as good as AAA games, but even the ones that aren't necessarily uh, the, as great as AAA games, I mean, considering many of them do not even aspire to be, um, they're just simply trying to do something their own. these subgenres and these different styles of of play that I hadn't necessarily you know been exposed to and you know that turned me into the advocate that I am now now I don't know that everybody uh, is going to be quite as headstrong and crazy about promoting indies as I've become um, you know I don't think anybody's there there's a line of people saying hey I'm gonna make um, a substantial amount of my free time about um, you know promoting and being an advocate for indies and helping people discover them and helping people uh, find enjoyment in them but you know there are other ways 
um, that you can be supportive. Certainly, just just creating a counter narrative because um, somehow I, I don't know. For me, I'm at least ten years in on uh, appreciating indie games as a whole, um, and it just irks and baffles me when I still periodically will get the odd comment um, to something. Usually it's the steals and deals videos since that attracts new eyes. Um, you know, you get the periodic comment of, oh, you know, oh, this all looks crappy, or oh, they aren't worth, they, you know, they're, they're cheap because they aren't worth anything. And it's just, it's just so exhausting, the immaturity and how, you know, idiotic these people really seem to be. Um, you know, because this, this video will have, you know, legitimately completely different types of games. I, there are ones that visually are not, there are, there inevitably are going to be ones that visually are not very impressive, certainly. But the notion that just because things aren't, you know, modern looking or, you know, you know, the, the, if they use pixel art or, or any, any um, there are a lot of complaints that people have about indie games, depending on, you know, what their specific bias is. But just the notion that just because they look a certain way, um, that somehow the gameplay isn't compelling, it, it's just, it's so frustrating. Um, and yet, you know, th that, that bias still definitely exists um, by all, by all accounts. Somehow, it seems that that uh, that bias still exists within Nintendo. Um, it just when you look at Nintendo's actions and their lack of, um, they have the indie directs. Um, though it feels like those are starting to wane, it feels like those are happening less often. Um, there just seems to be a lack of love for indie games um and i've talked about kirk scott before who was the indie guy there for quite a while um and who who i saw firsthand um was very passionate and very engaged in attracting indie games to nintendo and being an advocate for indie games as a whole um it just feels like that that passion hasn't been hasn't been replaced since he left um and it feels like it's getting worse, if anything, um, which is a shame. Um, it, perhaps they've gone to the camp that Sony went to, because uh, Sony was really into indie games for a while. Then they had more success, and then they were like, "Yeah, screw the indies. Um, yeah, we don't we don't need them." And I think Nintendo, unfortunately, it feels like they're falling into that same trap. Um, it's just. It's a very reductive way of looking at business, very short-sighted. Um, you know, I would imagine their approach at the high level would be, oh, well, even though we make a percentage off of all games sold on the eShop, which you'd think would be an incentive of some kind, um, you know, I think they have that, they make that mistake of perceiving that that people buying indie games represents a threat to their first-party sales, and perhaps it does, uh, but first, A, if it does, maybe some of your problem is that your first-party games aren't all uh, what they're what they set out to be. You know, if you're worried about indie games cutting into your sales, maybe worry about the quality of the games that you're producing. Um, you know, uh, yeah, 
much of what Nintendo produces is top quality, but, um, you know, not noting that not everything is great would not be a surprise to anybody. Um, and, you know, there are varying degrees of greatness. But the main thing that that, that mentality would uh, point out a problem with is that Nintendo very much doesn't produce games that satisfy all tastes, all markets. And indie games do an, a fabulous job of that, um, either, you know, supporting extremely niche uh, tastes that are out there or even creating new ones. And that is, I don't know, to, I've said it before, I think Nintendo and the indie market have a lot in common um, in terms of there's a determination to do things your own way, there's a, um, there's a willingness to take risks and create new types of gameplay in the hopes that, you know, it becomes a new viable form. Um, I mean, Nintendo has invented quite a number of uh, sub-genres, or major genres even, over time, um, that have taken off and been a success. I mean, Pikmin is a great example of, you know, just a, there wasn't really anything quite like it, and now Pikmin is a thing. Um, you know, it's just that sort of concept um that that you can you can create these new things and create a market um you know that that's what indie games are capable of um and you know the fact is nintendo even if they wanted to keep all the sales for themselves you know they can't produce enough quantity um to keep people occupied all year long um and that's why you know the the indies had been a great a great help to Nintendo uh, throughout the well, and they continue to be where they are great at filling in the blanks. That when Nintendo's lineup um, either has large gaps or there are simply games that you know that Nintendo makes that aren't for everybody, um, that people have alternatives and people don't start playing on another system. Um, that you know, that keep keep the switch viable as the constant thing that people want to play on by keeping the flow of games to them consistent. And indie indie games can be a tre- tremendous benefit in that space. But anyway, um, but in terms of supporting indies and and um, and things like that, I mean. Consider that the value proposition for indie games getting into things like Humble Bundle or Game Pass or anything like that. First, they do have a financial incentive, um, though I would imagine for most of them, um, not a great, not a great one. Um, but it's a strategic choice that you're making. Um, you either are hoping to get onto, you know, sales charts as a whole. Um, you're hoping to get word of mouth buzz because. Discovery is a big piece of the problem, and the fact is, if you're in Game Pass, there are a lot of people who are going to download the game and check it out for free, um, and the hope is, you know, it's a long-term strategy in a lot of cases, because the fact is, maybe on this game, you're not going to make the money that you wish you could have, um, but, you know, you could build, you could sort of try to build your brand, you could build... Uh, goodwill with people who remember the name of the company that made this game or they remember at least the name of the game and then if you mention it in your press materials as you move out with your next game 
you know, there it raises the opportunity for people to go, oh, I remember the last game they made. That was pretty awesome. Um, maybe this time around I'll, I'll pay for it. So, I mean, as long as you are supporting them, and as long, I guess I guess as long as it, the only way you support indie games isn't only when they're free. Um, if that if you if that was the only way you ever supported them, I suppose that would be a problem, um, because then then their efforts to to gain your confidence and to um, make you a consumer for them um, obviously hasn't quite succeeded the way they hoped. Um, that you're eager to play their games for free, but you're not eager to pay for them or advocate for them. Mm, yeah, then then maybe there would be room for not feeling great about it. Um, but I think I think it is all about helping people find the games that they want, helping people build some sort of um, loyalty or allegiance with what it is that you know the type of the type of games that you're making and things like that. Um, and then hopefully building um, building a long-term consumer uh, through that process because um, I think of I think of developers that um, that whenever they release something I'm immediately interested uh, personally you know ten tons is high on that list I you know discovered them mostly through playing um, let's see it was uh, now my brain is not helping first words neon um, neon chrome yeah there we go um neon chrome was what i originally played that that impressed me and drew me in uh but then judge wasn't as good but in the same vein um what was it um the time one shoot now i can't I, it's time something and now i can't think of the second second part of the name um time recoil yeah that one was that one was very different um still I mean, to me, they're they're synonymous with twin stick shooters, though they have made some other ones. Um, Crimson Land, uh, I enjoyed that. I think that was their first one, and I went I went back and had played it um, when it came out on Switch. Um, I love the uh, sort of the arcade style open field um, survival mode on that. Um, the main the main campaign that unlocks all the weapons uh, that that. It took too long to sort of get going, but but um, but for just like pure arcade style, you know, shoot everything that moves uh, and grab different power ups and try to survive. You know how crazy everything gets. It, that was a lot of fun for that. Um, but since then they've had um, Tesla versus Lovecraft, Tesla Force. Um, just I, you know, the the that original playing of Neon Neon Chrome convince me that you know this is a company that whenever they release something I, I'm gonna have to take a look um, and I'm gonna be you know hopefully I'm gonna be excited about it just by default um, and I think that's a big piece of the puzzle for indie developers is you know even if at least if you're passionate about the game even if you didn't pay for it this, this time around um, there is something to having some building some customer loyalty um, um, another example of companies that companies that I by default am interested in um, anything they release um, though they've now become Thunderful um, you know Image and Form and um, Zoink games both um, you know those are 
those are brands that that I'm always interested in. Like I said, they merged into Thunderful. Now they're even more powerful and impressive with, with the variety of things they have, um, made by you know sub subgroups that are that are beyond uh, Image and Form and Zoink. Um, uh, obviously, Devolver Digital. Um, they just have a taste, and that taste aligns with mine generally very well. Um, you know, uh, Cult of the Lamb is the most recent one that they made. Uh, that, you know, I, anything that Devolver is putting out, I'm I'm interested um, automatically, and it's based on you know the track record. And sometimes it only takes one game to make that sort of impression. I think that uh, a great example of that would be uh, Super Meat Boy with Team Meat, um, or something like uh, The Binding of Isaac um, from Edward Edward McMullen. Um, things like that, uh, or, you know, Golf Story, a great example, Stardew Valley, um, you know, you have all these games that, that the, the value isn't necessarily whether or not you purchased it, uh, but it's the fact that you've played it and you've developed a taste for it and you start to identify, you know, in your, in your brain when you hear about new releases and stuff like that. You, you've added that that person, that developer, that style of play to to your list of things that you're looking for. Um, so, you know, let's be honest that a big piece of the part of anything that you're making a change for the better is the fact that first you're realizing you know, you're realizing what you're doing and and you're acknowledging it and you have a concern for it. You know, the fact that you're thinking about it at all, well, A, you might have some guilt, but you can work through that. Um, but at least you're introspective enough to think about, you know, I've, I've been playing these games for free. Is that a problem? You know, just the fact that you take a moment to pause uh, is really, you know, that, that's doing more than most people do. So, you know, as long as you're out there being an advocate, being a fan, um, giving positive words uh when prompted or when asked or when you see the opportunity um sharing your positive experiences you know that's what makes that investment that the that the companies that put their games in the packs you know that's what they were looking for um even if not monetary directly uh there is value in helping build a positive community around indie games in general um now moving on to the second question um, what are your thoughts on roguelike versus rogue light? Uh, I tend to lean towards roguelike games that give me the progression carrot <clears throat> at every failure, but I also think that's potentially a design crutch that makes games easier to play as you play. And what do you think? Also, my pet peeve is when people use the terms interchangeably. Uh, here we go. Because <laughs> I'll, I'll immediately throw out there that in terms of talking to people and the way I put stuff out there, I use them interchangeably. I, I don't bother with calling anything a roguelite. Um, and that's because I think for the majority of people out there, um, using the two terms serves to confuse. For people that aren't already aware, you know, um, having those both out there, I think, confuses people. Um, and really, the distinction of meta, meta progression isn't as large 
as many other aspects of you know roguelikes are i mean it is a piece of a puzzle um i actually prefer to talk about in reviews i just call things roguelike um i tend to note something about meta progression in most of what i write um so that you know that it's there um and i'm not calling it a roguelite um just because it makes it makes it easier it's a it's another barrier that i'm not putting in front of people making them feel like they don't understand or something like that and the fact is for people that are in the know obviously people know the distinction um but yeah i i i'm still concerned with all the people that haven't discovered roguelike roguelikes yet uh and they don't want to get tripped up by it um because i mean really when you think about it uh you know as a whole with roguelikes um you know the the concept of risk versus reward um the the you know the con the constant trying to find a balance between um you know every run trying to find the balance between you know putting your neck out trying to get the better potentially the better gear um you know having to worry about your health you know the the sacrifice that you might need to make and it may not pay off um obviously the difficulty level you know, I think all those things are much more what help define what roguelikes are, um, you know, than the meta progression. The meta progression is more of a detail to me. Um, and the thing is, you know, it's one of those things that people end up arguing about. Um, because certainly there are different approaches to meta progression and how much they make the game easier or how they approach it can be very different i mean you've got games that are much more generous that you know any progress you make is potentially something that you're going to be able to you're going to be able to you know give yourself some meta progression with um you know that then there are others that are more brutal and you know in order to get to the next tier of meta progression you're really going to need to pull off an extraordinary run a good example of that is uh, rogue legacy where initially it's not too hard to get you know better perks and and unlock a few things but it does you know about i don't know a third of the way in you're really going to have to start having longer and better runs in order to get anything in terms of meta progression because you know they they start throwing away your money uh that you don't use and then you find that you accumulated a certain amount of money and you can't get anything with it uh, so so, you know, then there are games that, you know, lessen the burden of things like that. They don't take away any chance of benefit. They can, you know, let you bank what you have at a discounted rate. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that people have tried to make it a little bit more forgiving, um, but it varies wildly. Um, so I think when you see things like that, it makes the roguelike road light distinction a little bit weaker because it's not as if there being meta progression is you know it's not like you can assume that that makes it instantly easier or what type of way it makes it easier it just varies everybody's got their own their own way of doing it and when i think about roguelike games um probably the only one that i can think of offhand that is that to me is very more clearly a roguelike truly where it doesn't really have meta progression 
uh, and adheres much more strictly to things. Um, Quest of Dungeons is the one that really, um, to me, feels more in the original vein um, that that it really is about every run is different and every run you're going to start over and you're going to, you know, you've been imbued with wisdom now. Um, you'll potentially be able to respond to things in a better way, but there's not really that meta progression uh, for you to bank on as a way of continuing to make the game more accessible. And the thing is, you know, really with the way I approach games in general, um, you know, I really, I really like, I don't know. I almost wish even roguelikes would go a step beyond, um, beyond the meta progression, and throw a carrot to people who aren't as good at games necessarily, um, and almost have a you know different skill tiers where you can start out easier and get the meta progression on top of that. I mean, like, I don't know. A typical roguelike, you'll start out and you'll you'll get crushed. And, you know, you see the meta progression, you're going to keep getting better and better. And for the people like me that have already sort of, I'm already all in on roguelikes anyway. Um, I don't, I understand and I generally don't mind as long as it isn't cruel. Um, you know, I'll, I'll keep digging in. But I do wonder if there's a tier of people that would be receptive to the game that just aren't as skilled um, or seasoned. Um, for those people, the crushing initial wave might be too much and, and they might, you know, the, the length of time it would take for them to, you know, um, (laughs) to, to knock down the core skill required to be good enough to get to the end of the game. It might be a long time coming. Um, and that's a lot of grinding to ask of them. Um, so I do, I don't know, I do wish games would consider, making tiered ones um so you start out simpler it isn't quite as crushing still make it pretty crushing but you know within reason and you know you could easily do things like um you know make it so that that only represents you know a portion of the game that it's not everything um you know that that then you give the carrot to take on the next level now that you've you know, you've beaten the game on the easy setting. Um, there's more stuff that we've got that's exciting and interesting that we're holding back. You know, go back for the next run. And the thing is that a lot of people may never go for that next run. Um, and they may never see the benefit uh, or the cool stuff that you would have seen in that run. But the thing is, if you didn't make those skill trees, or I mean um, those skill levels to begin with, they probably would have played two runs, said this is too hard, and, and quit. So, <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish people would think more about... You want to make the game challenging, you want to make the game appeal to the, the crowd that already likes roguelikes, but I do, I do think that some of them could have an easy version um, and still attract new people who like the style of play or the things that... the that that particular game may bring to the table um and not feel the you know the uh the crushing disappointment of dying you know 10 minutes you know well not in 10 minutes um you know maybe two minutes into your run that you 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 get in there and you just don't you just don't have any business playing the game that's at the at this level of difficulty 
and if you're at that level, you know, grinding to get the meta progression benefit, uh, even a you know even a very forgiving one, it's going to take too long for the game to get anywhere near approachable for you. So, I don't know. <laughs> I I I probably have a different perspective than a lot of folks because you know I want I want everybody to get to the point where they can enjoy all these things. Um, I think roguelike games are great. Um, I wish more people would take the plunge and be able to appreciate them. And, you know, so having things be too hard initially, I know that's sort of the point. Um, but that doesn't mean you couldn't make a, a lighter version for people to enjoy and sort of get a taste and, and let them build their skills. I mean, there is a get good mentality that you could just say, look, you're just going to have to, you're going to have to buckle up and figure out how to make this work. Um, yeah, you could, but I, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt anything to make an offering to the, to the lower end crowd. Cause like I said, that lower end crowd, a, they're a potential consumer and B, if they weren't ever going to play much of your game anyway, what's the harm in giving them an easier path and letting them enjoy it? I mean, I've seen, for more narratively focused games, I've seen a lot of attempts. I mean, this doesn't tend to be roguelikes, but I've seen a lot of attempts where there's actually a mode that essentially lets you go through the story and makes the makes the challenge level of the gameplay itself lower so that people can experience the story and get through it and enjoy the enjoy the big picture. Um, so essentially reaching out to a more casual audience and helping them enjoy something. You know, uh, you could make you can make the same thing in just about any genre. You could tone down the difficulty in first-person shooters, etc., and see that there is an opportunity to to pull in new people, to pull in new fans, and to help people, you know, come to appreciate something and and give them sort of an incentive to get better. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Um, but yeah, the, I don't, I, so I don't really make a distinction between the two. Um, I understand where people would prefer there to be a distinction, but at least for me specifically trying to reach the, the audience that I'm trying to reach where people might, there, there might be a pretty substantial, um, portion of folks that are the uninitiated when it comes to roguelikes to me making the distinction from my from where I am um, just serves to help confuse people to a to a degree um, granted then if somebody in a different somewhere else talks about roguelike roguelite uh, enunciation um, then they might be a bit perplexed because now I've I've you know given them a generic term that stamps on everything and now we have distinctions and now they're saying well why did he call them roguelike why didn't he make this distinction well <laughs> yeah um it's it's well-intentioned and it's the goal is to um not segment things off because like i said in terms of pure roguelikes first i don't think there are actually that many of them out there um the majority i think really are roguelites especially at this point um and then even within the roguelites, uh, the degree to which the meta progression is 
forgiving or helpful will vary wildly. Um, you know, like I said, some of them really want you to make the, the skill floor lower quickly, and some want you to have to invest. And some, some it's more like a, a bell curve kind of thing. that They'll give you the easy stuff early, and for the better stuff, you're going to have to just keep getting better and having longer runs, um, which I think is probably the most ideal path overall. Um, give you the early taste, give you the early, you know, easy stuff, but but keep asking more of you um, that you know you know you might not be able to get to the end of the game yet, um, but I at least expect that you should be able to do longer runs to get more. Uh, accumulate more of whatever my currency or unlock method is. Um, I think that I think that method makes a lot more sense. Um, but yeah, everybody's got their own way of doing it. Well, um, that's that's it for the two questions for this week. Um, I've got a few more um, lingering out there. I actually I skipped over at attacking them first. I'd actually receive some of them first. But those are more. Those those might be single single episode head scratchers, and I'm still mentally just trying to be in a space to to be able to attack things that are that are more extensive and a lot more. Um, there's actually a research component for at least one of them. Um, so yeah, I'm holding off on the heavier stuff, um, but we'll get to it. But if you have any questions, uh, if you enjoy indies. Uh, well, I guess if you don't and you just want to ask questions or ask any questions about Nintendo or whatever, um, I'm game. So be sure to send them along to uh, Justin at NindySpotlight.com or I think I've got a email for Talking Nindies. That it's easier just Justin at NindySpotlight.com. Um, but send them along uh, or send them to me on social media. You can DM me on Twitter. Um, or actually I've had some sent, you can even send them as replies within YouTube on the videos themselves, which, yeah, if you've got questions, find a way to get one to me. Um, we'll, we'll cover it in a future episode and just remember that, you know, it's the questions that really keep this thing going. Um, without them, I wouldn't have a topic. I'd rather discuss topics that somebody finds interesting, uh, rather than trying to, you know, make up a topic and figure out a way to try to yeah it, to me it doesn't work as well in the opposite direction I, I, I like responding to people it, I think it's a much more uh, effective method but anyway so um, thank you for listening thank you for uh, supporting this <laughs> supporting this uh, not a podcast podcast uh, through nine episodes and hopefully we'll be doing more. We'll hit double digits next next week. And hopefully this can be a long run. Uh, this has been Justin Nation with Nitty Spotlight. And thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.